0: All right, let's open our copy of God's Word once again to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter number 10. <clears throat> now, I will uh, read, read uh, I want us to just walk through these verses. I'm going to give us a little bit of uh, review of what we talked about uh, <clears throat> last Sunday night. And then we will get right into uh, the message for today. Let's uh, let's pray. Father, once again I come to you empty-handed. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing in my hands to bring. I just cling to you. I cling to your cross. I cling to your Holy Spirit and your promises. From your word, I ask for your anointing and enabling to rightly divide the word of truth. May it go forth with power, with life-giving, transforming power that uh, those who are present might hear and uh, be, be stirred in their hearts to worship and adore you, to unite themselves To you and those who are hearing by uh, means of uh, social media, online, live stream, I pray that you would use this to touch those that need it most. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me start again in verse number 17 and we'll just kind of walk through these verses. down through verse number 31. Uh, Of course, if you remember last week, we uh, talked about the motive of the seeker. We read about this young man. that We read here in verse number 17, uh, uh, Matthew and Luke both tell us that he was young. Luke tells us that he was a ruler, but they all tell us that he was rich. He said, when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit (coughs) eternal life? And so uh, we talked about his motive here in asking this. He came running to Jesus. He had a sense of urgency about him. And uh, not only a sense of urgency, but he was respectful. He knelt before Jesus, and he addressed Jesus with an honorable uh, term. He said, good master, a term of high respect. But Jesus questions him, and his questions reveal that his motives are not right. And the thing that Jesus uh, asked him is, Uh, Why are you calling me good? Notice verse number 18. Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, and that's God. And uh, uh, some people would think that Jesus is saying, Well, you know, God's good, but uh, none of the rest of us are, including himself in that. But actually what Jesus is doing is pointing out the error in this young man's thinking. He is, uh, he he asked him this question and the proper response would have been, yes, you're right, there's only one that's good and that's God, but I believe that you are God in the flesh and that uh, uh, the, the title fits you. You are good because you are God, but he did not believe that. Because when he responded to Jesus later in verse number 20, he left off the good. And he said, and he answered and said unto him, Master. So this young man uh, is, uh, uh, his, his motives are all wrong. He's not asking to follow Jesus. He's not coming to Jesus to surrender to him as the Lord of his life. He uses the tense uh, uh, in the uh, sentence where he's asking for one thing. He's asking one thing. What one thing can I do or give in order to obtain eternal life? As a matter of fact, Matthew's version of this in chapter 18, verse number 16, that's what he says. What good thing can I do? And, uh, and so what he wants is, you know, I've got all this money, I've got all this wealth, I have all these possessions and, uh, the religious crowd, they say that I'm okay. <coughs> and, uh, and so I, have uh, I've kept the law and so if, uh, but there's something that's just missing in my heart, you get that, don't you? There's something missing in my heart, and so I wonder what good thing can I do? What one thing can I do or give that I can check off the box and know for sure that I have eternal life? I'd just like to do one thing. But Jesus' question points out not only that he his motive is wrong, but it points out uh, that he is mistaken he's mistaken about the Savior who Jesus is, so we've already talked about that he didn't believe that Jesus was God, he may have uh, thought that he was a a mighty man a a powerful man, a charismatic man, a very uh, uh, a, a very helpful and And uh, a good man as far as good goes, but he did not believe that he was God. And he was also mistaken about salvation because he thought that by being a good person, he could be saved. Jesus said, you know the law, and he gives him all these commandments that have to do with uh, man's relationship to man. And his response is, I've kept all these, I've kept all these from my youth. He was mistaken because he didn't understand the law points out our sin. The law does not save us. The law causes us to see ourselves as sinners. It shows the holiness and perfection of God. And in the sight of His holiness and perfection, we see ourselves as sinful, sinful creatures. Then Jesus, uh, Jesus, the Bible says here, uh, looked on him and loved him. He said, verse twenty, he said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go, go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven come take up the cross and follow me well that brings us to the method of the savior jesus said those things because he was putting his finger on the defining sin of that young man's life. Now listen to the words that I'm using here. he's putting his finger on the defining sin in that young man's life. He says one thing you're lacking, one thing you're one area in which you're coming short, one thing you're not doing and he's uh, he said, uh, go and sell and it gives him five different things to do but those five different things add up to one thing you see he had made an idol of his possessions he'd made an idol of his wealth and he did not want to give those things up he was a misguided man he had probably listened to the Pharisees who had taught him that as long as he kept the law outwardly, everything was all right. But there was one thing that this young man was failing in, and that is commandment number one in Exodus chapter twenty and verse number three: "Thou shalt have no other gods before me." No other gods. Hey. He had other gods, didn't he? And he went away sorrowful. He puts his finger on the real heart issue in that man's life. This young man, things would have been completely different if he would have just placed simple, childlike faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if he had turned to him in utter dependence and devotion. But see, it's hard to do things like that when you're holding on to your wealth. And so the emphasis of what I was talking about last week, and I pointed this out, and Is not so much how to get to heaven, although my title, (laughs) the title of my sermon is How to Obtain Eternal Life, but it's not so much how to get to heaven as it is how not to get to heaven, the things that won't get you to heaven. And those things are religion and wealth. And so, <clears throat> riches and religion was his big problem. It led him to idolatry, and that's the one thing that he lacked. He was short on the very first commandment. He, could, he did not love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he had made an idol of his wealth and of his possessions. You said, well, I thought idols were just images. I thought idols were statues or things that you bow down to. Well, I, let me give you three things. And you should write these down somewhere. And uh, you should always remember this. There's three things or three things. Three ways that you can know something is an idol. We'll put it that way. First of all, anything you love more than God is your idol. That's pretty self evident, isn't it? Anything you love more than God is an idol. Number two, anything you trust more than God is an idol. And number three, anything you fear. More than God is your idol. Now you can uh, take those things and meditate on them and you can make application anything that you love more than God. You know what you love most is because that's the thing that you spend most of your time with. You love those things that you spend your time with or you spend your time with those things that you love. Anything you trust more than God. If you say, I can't serve God because I have to have my job and I fear losing my job. And it's the same thing with trust. I can't go to the mission field because, you know, how would I live? And so money and and the bottom line on the bank account sometimes can can be just as much an idol as any image that you bow down to. And so when this young man heard what Jesus said, he was not willing, he was not willing to follow Jesus on those terms, and he definitely was not willing to follow Jesus with empty pockets. He couldn't put Jesus first. You couldn't put God first. And when you don't put him first, you can't have him at all. And so that brings us to the uh, point where we are now. Verse Beginning in verse number 20 to 20, 22. He was sad at that saying. And went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Now, now do you do you see it? Do you see it in those words that that love of things, that desire for things. In verse 23. And Jesus looked round about. You know, I noticed this that. That this is repeated a lot. That saying is repeated a lot in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus looked round about and I started thinking about it and meditating on it. And, and, and it seems to me that when it says that about Jesus, there is a very important piece of information that's about to be uh, about to be given is about to be offered. When he looks around about, he's making eye contact with everyone. There's a lesson that must be learned. And when he's doing that, he's including everyone. He's making eye contact with everyone. This means you. This is about you. You need to hear this. And when he is looking round about, he is discerning hearts. He's seeing what people are struggling with and what they're needing. And, and so, it says, he, uh, he looked round about and saith unto his disciples, here's that great truth that they need to hear. How hardly... Shall they that have riches? Now, the word "riches" here actually could just be possessions, the things you need, and it uh, really the root word is needful things. The fellow that has all that he needs is rich, and so Jesus is saying here uh, that uh, it's hard. How hard! It is that they that have riches or possessions enter into the kingdom of God. Those who have enough. Verse 24, and the disciples were astonished at his words. Well, why were they astonished? From what I've understood in studying this, that the Jews had this idea that uh, maybe being rich wouldn't get you to heaven. Maybe... Being rich wouldn't get you into paradise, but being rich would get you a leg up. In other words, if you're rich, it's evident that God has been blessing you. And if God's blessing you, that stands to reason that He's pleased with your life. Well, you know, we all know that that's wrong, right? Because there's some rich people whose life God's not pleased with. And there are some poor people whose life God is pleased with. The most godly man I have ever known in my life, his name is Renufo Coto. I'm not sure if Renufo is still alive or not. He lives in a shack with a cardboard roof in a, a, a little village called Boca del Monte in uh, in just outside of Veracruz, Mexico, <coughs> he is the godliest man I've ever met. He had seven children. The last time I saw him, they had dirt floors nothing. They owned nothing. He was a sharecropper. He would plant corn for a man who owned the land and he would get part of the corn and that was his year's wages. He would sell some of it uh, for to have money to buy the things he needed and he would keep some of it to have corn for his family and he would trade some of it for food. the most godly man I've ever met in my life. And you know what he said to me one time, "I worry about you, you have so much. How can you serve God? How can you love God? How can you do- trust God with a house like you have? He was amazed the first time he saw my indoor bathroom. It's amazed. His kids had no idea how to use it. It was, this was a godly man. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have favor on you because you are poor. It means this, just like the uh, the account of, Luke chapter 16, I mentioned last Sunday night. There's a rich man there. And that rich man died and went to hell. And there was a very poor man there. And that poor man died and went to paradise. He was saved, although on earth he was poor. But the Jewish people had the idea that Wealth was a sign of God's pleasure in your life. And so maybe it wouldn't save you, but it gave you a head start. And so when Jesus says this, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of heaven? The disciples were astonished by it. They were taken aback by it. And and verse 24, the disciples were astonished. At his words, but Jesus answered again. So I'm going to tighten this down a little bit, children. How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? You see, he's he's bringing that point home that this young man was an idolater. He trusted in his riches how hard how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of god and then he's going to tighten it down again he said it is easier well I love this word picture don't you it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Easier. Now, how easy do you think it would be for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle? And he is talking about a sewing needle. Okay? You say, well, they had, you know, they didn't have that tiny little thin thread like we do now. And so it was bigger thread." I don't care how big that needle's eye was. You can't put a camel through it. This is, uh, th- this is a-, a little bit humorous, but it's Jesus is making a point here. It would be easier to put a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich man or a man who trusts in riches or a man who has possessions, and that includes all of us, to get into the kingdom of God. He's not pointing out the difficulty of salvation. He's not saying it can be done, but it's tough. He's not saying that, uh, uh, you know, salvation is, uh, uh, it's humanly possible. No, actually what Jesus is saying is salvation is impossible. It's impossible for everyone. Listen to what he says, verse 26. They were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, here he, here he does it again. He looks upon them. He looks at them. He makes eye contact. He says, this is, uh, this is for everybody here. I want you to all hear what I'm about to say. Without With men, it is impossible but not with God for with God all things are possible he could put a camel through the eye of a needle or he could put a repentant rich man into the kingdom of god he can do it because he's god salvation is a miracle. That's the title of our message this morning, the miracle of salvation. It is something that only God can do. There is not an illusionist or a magician anywhere in the world that could perform that trick of putting a camel through a needle's eye or a rich man into the kingdom of God. It is a work of God alone through Christ alone, by faith alone, in His grace and mercy alone. It is the work of God. Salvation is a miracle. We have people on these... uh, television ministries talking about miracles all the time and and uh, but the greatest miracle I never hear them talk about salvation I never hear them talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ but listen the greatest miracle that ever happened was for God to take a dead in trespasses and in sins sinner one who is following after the course of this world and the uh, path of the children of disobedience, following Satan, living after the desires and the lust of his flesh. And he's happy that way. He wants to be that way when Jesus takes him and transforms him and causes him to cry out for mercy and say, Lord, save me. And Jesus in mercy reaches down and snatches him out of the burning. And places him into the kingdom of God and makes him a child of God forever and ever. That's a miracle. And that's the one we ought to be trying to talk about and propagate and tell people about because in hearing the gospel, he can save. He can use the power of the gospel to save. This is this. Whole point of salvation being a miracle is not just taught right here. It's taught in many different scriptures and in many different ways. As a matter of fact, in uh, and I've already talked to you about Ephesians chapter two, verses one through six. That's uh, I was uh, I was uh, stabbing at it anyway, uh, just a moment ago. But listen. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to what it says. And this is something we hear all the time. But, but it's, it's talking about the miracle of salvation. Verse 1, And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead. Now, that's a miracle, Right? We were dead. Who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation. Or our way of life. Our manner of life. In times past in the lust of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath even as others but God <laughs> that makes me want to be a Pentecostal but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ in other words when Jesus got up we got up by grace you're saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's the miracle of salvation. In John chapter number five, there's a well let me let me go to chapter number three first. in John chapter number three, this truth, this great truth of regeneration, Is taught so clearly. And and people evidently don't get it. But listen to what we have here. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus said you want to talk about a miracle let me tell you about one Jesus answered and said unto him verily verily I say unto you except a man be born from above he cannot see notice that word he can't see he can't perceive the kingdom of God Nicodemus saith unto him, well Jesus you know the words here are born again but it means born from above Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus says, No, this is a miracle. (laughs) It's a miracle. It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of Christ water and of the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God so you can't see it without being born and you can't enter it without being born so what comes first (laughs) it's the life right it's the being born that comes first and then you can enter we people get that all backwards they say well If you believe, then Jesus performs that work of regeneration. No, he has to do that work of regeneration before you can believe. So he says again in verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. Then in chapter number 5, Sometime you can ask me about this water and uh, must be born of water and the spirit. And I'll, I'll tell you about that. But uh, in John chapter number five, here's another picture of salvation. And it takes place in the healing of a man. And all the healings, I've told you this before, but the healings that Jesus did, he didn't heal people that had a sniffle. If you look at the record of the healings, he healed people that were past hope. They had no hope whatsoever. And so Jesus goes to this uh, pool of Bethesda in John chapter number 5, and there's a multitude of impotent folk. There's a multitude of of sick people. Some were sicker than others, and he goes through the crowd and all those laying around, and he comes to a man who'd been there for many years. And he said, would you be made whole? And that man said, I have no man. You see, there was, I don't know if this was something that actually happened or it was a legend, but every year there was a stirring of that water in that pool and the first one to get into that pool would be healed of whatever malady that he had, whatever disease that he had. And so everybody was there waiting on the stirring of the water to get in. But this man is so paralyzed, he can't get in. And he says to Jesus, when Jesus said, would you be made whole? He said, I don't have a man. I have no man that when the water is stirred to put me in. And while I'm trying to get there, someone else gets in ahead of me. And Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. not something that a man can do. It's a picture of salvation. The sinner is blinded and he has to receive his sight, not just light. He has to have sight. The sinner's paralyzed and he needs to receive strength and ability. You see, the miracle here is not just that he had strength to stand up, but you can have strength to stand and not be able to walk because you have to learn to walk, right? But this guy gets up (laughs) walking. It's a miracle. It's a picture of salvation. The, The sinner is defiled and has to be cleansed. He's dead, and he has to be given life. That is the miracle of salvation. And so I'm running out of time and The next thing that I want to get to here is the meaning of surrender. And uh, so we'll have to talk about that in the evening service at 5. We'll talk about the meaning of surrender from verses 28 through 31. And let's just read it again. Then Peter began to say to him, Lo, or look, we have left all and have followed thee. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake in the Gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now, in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. The meaning of surrender we'll talk about a little bit tonight and then get into uh, our next section in verse number 32 through 34 about the message of salvation. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word pray that you'd take these scattered thoughts and I pray that you would apply them to our lives, help us to understand the miracle, the glorious miracle of salvation, that it's a work that only God can do. Only those who come empty-handed, hopeless and helpless before you can know the saving grace of God. Those who would come And hold on to the world and hold on to sin, hold on to anything else. For them, salvation is an impossibility. We pray that you'd keep us cognitive of these truths and make us wise unto salvation and help us to be to be faithful ministers of the gospel, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all of our friends, all of our loved ones, in Jesus' name.